BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. All right. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to you and Five O. Really appreciate you you coming and listening. For those of you first time joining us, it's you and Five O. My name is BJ Council. We're recording out of the Bull City in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, what you and Five O is, it's a uh, for profit that goes around teaching uh, people how to interact with law enforcement safely and to get home. Uh, basically based on what's going on across the country, it is primarily geared toward black and brown bodies, but the information is good for anybody who needs to understand how to safely interact with law enforcement and talk about their rights. The primary goal, well, when we started this in 2015 was we need folks to get home. And so we have discussions on here from about policing, but not necessarily everything about it. We talk about mental health. We talk about uh, the other issues, the things, the possible failings of systems before it even gets to law enforcement. Uh, so we try to make sure that we touch on all those things to have a more holistic um, discussion about what's going on in law enforcement and beyond that. So uh, my guest uh, tonight is uh, Tony Godwin, who is retired police chief for Cary. He retired in 2018, Cary, North Carolina. Um, and he also, as he says, just re-retired from an interim police position in Apex. So um, what we're going to do is just my, some of my co-hosts are running a little late, but we're going to go ahead and get started. So Tony, you work with um, an organization since you've left, but first tell me a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Well, I mean, lately up until about two weeks ago, as you said, I was the interim police chief in Apex. Um, and so uh, I started that back in December of last year when their chief retired uh, and the town manager reached out and asked if I'd be willing to serve as interim while they did a national search for a replacement. And so I'm really excited um, that that, uh, that 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 national search is concluded. The new chief is in place and I'm excited. Um, you know, selfishly, I'm excited because, as you said, I got to re-retire, but, <laughs> but but I am more excited about the selection. And the selection is a is a is a young chief named Jason Armstrong. Uh, Jason uh, is is uh, just recently uh, the former chief from Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, and I've known Jason five or six years. He was wow. he was he was identified by the IACP a couple of years ago as one of the 40 under 40. And wow. so he's a really, um, he is a really uh, promising, uh, really intelligent, progressive, uh, and exciting young chief uh, in the profession. Um, you know, he's been in the profession for 20 years. He's been in law enforcement since he was 20, 
but but he's wow. been chief for a little over three years now, and I'm so excited about him coming to our community. I think he's going to be such a great addition to this area. So really excited about that. You know what? I'm going to have to say it. Um, some people probably listen to this that a chief just said a chief is progressive. <laughs> you know, in the words you hear right now, you usually don't associate the word progressive with a police chief. But I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. I'm, I, I was I don't know what I was excited, but I was kind of blown away when they said he was from Ferguson. I was like, whoa. I mean, that yeah. I mean, it's good because everybody knows Ferguson. And yep. uh, so the fact that they hired him, that's that's awesome. So good. I mean, that that coming from you and those kind of kudos and, and that that uh, good for Apex. Good for Apex. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. He is. He is going to bring such great energy. Uh, not, and, and that's the thing. It's not just Apex. It's going to be to the surrounding community, because, as you know, None of us are an island, right? We may we may yeah. work for for Apex, we may work for Durham, um, but we live in Cary or we live in Holly Springs or we shop, you know, in Raleigh. So we're all one big community, and so yes. you know we, we're not just restricted to the one organization that we work for or or the one that we live in or the one we work in. Yeah. Um, we're all one big community, and I think that that having him here is going to be such a great addition for all of us. Awesome. Uh, and my co-host, uh, Harmony Chavis, has joined us. Thanks for, for joining us. Oh. Don't worry about apologizing. We're good to go. Let me go ahead and shut <laughs> that down real quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's okay. So uh, your question to, to the chief was uh, 40 under 40. So she wanted to kind of get you to explain what that meant in layman's language. Or I guess like the, what was it, the IGAP? Is that what you said? I don't remember I, the acronym. IAC, IACP, International Association of Chiefs of Police. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was like, what? I didn't know like what body that was and yeah, yeah. what that really meant. Okay, got it. No, that's a, that's a great question, Harmony. I just say those things like everybody knows what I'm talking about. But <laughs> but, but that is a, a worldwide organization of of police, primarily chiefs, but but upper level executives, uh, and and it's a, they have somewhere around forty thousand members around the world. Oh wow! And and once a year they identify. Uh, 40 up and coming leaders that are under 40 years old. Um, so kind of the, the promising future of our, of our um, profession, if you will. And a couple of years ago, Jason was identified as one of those 40 under 40. So when you get picked out as one of the 40 out of 40,000, that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive. You know, yeah. that's, you, you have done some things to get recognized in order to do that. Yeah. Especially worldwide too. It's not even just like, to the standard of American policing, that's which correct. I kind of find the most interesting that it's a worldwide one. That's really interesting. I didn't even know that was a thing. The more yep. you know. That is a thing. You, so you just got edified. The more you know. I <laughs> did. <laughs> uh, all right. So I, I want to just go ahead and get started. Tony, I want, I want you to talk about, uh, obviously, the work that you do with True Pettigrew. But uh -huh. the first thing I want to talk about, or and also of I also want folks that may not be looking at it, uh, looking at the video is that uh, if you haven't figured it out, Tony is a white male. And the reason I, we're going to be having kind of a real conversation about that is just based on the climate right now, a lot of folks, you know, have this thing about white male police officers. And, and, and I am here to, or us, this conversation to, to have this discussion that, you know, we're just officers doing our jobs and that there are police chiefs that are in position and their race has nothing to do there. Like he just said, we're one big community. Uh, but also, you know, the, his perspective in this moment, um, being a white police chief, 
uh, what he sees, you know, needs to be happening, isn't happening and all that kind of stuff. But the first thing I want you to talk about, Tony, is how you met True, the story you told me years ago when he walked into your police department and you guys are doing the barbershop, how that evolved into that and, and why you even believe you had a role in that, you know, why you felt like you needed to be a part of that. And so yeah. I, I definitely want to give give you, uh, I want you to explain to people why that was important for you as a police chief. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, you know, the, kind of the backstory on that is, um, you know, True, True, uh, who we talked about, True Pettigrew, uh, I didn't know True at the time. True was a citizen living in Cary. Um, and we're talking about August of 2014, August 9th, 2014 specifically, which was the date of the events in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, with Michael Brown and, and Officer Darren Wilson. And when that happened, you know, True found himself in a place um, where it brought back a lot of, of memories, of experiences he had growing up. He, 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 while he lives in Cary now, uh, you know, he was from West Baltimore um, and lived in a, a number of major cities uh, throughout his lifetime, including Los Angeles, uh, where he had some some negative experiences with law enforcement. And so what was different about August of 14, though, was when that happened, he had a two year old son by then. And anybody that's a parent knows like your worldview changes when you have a child. Right. And so if he was just going through life dealing with what he dealt with, you know, and it was just him, that's one thing. But now he's worried about a two-year-old little boy and specifically a two-year-old little brown boy growing up in a community that is predominantly white and relatively affluent like Cary, North Carolina. And his concern, his angst being, you know, what if my son has an interaction with law enforcement? You know, what is going to happen? You know, how is that going to go? And so he found himself really quite concerned about that. And uh, you know, where he found himself having a conversation about it was at a local barbershop, Headliners Barbershop in Cary, North Carolina. And as you can imagine, they were already talking about the events in Ferguson when he got there. And he went in with both feet, right? And he dived, you know, dove into <laughs> right? the conversation. Yeah. And, and next thing he knows, he has, he has told the fellas in the shop, I've got a good piece of, you know, I got a good mind to go down to the police department tomorrow and get him a piece of my mind. And of course, the, the shop exploded, right? They're like, yeah, true. Yeah, you tell him, you're just the one. <laughs> right. and, yeah. and so he sold tickets, right? He found himself in this place where he had to come down to the police department because he said he was going to. Otherwise, he couldn't go back to the shop. Y'all know how this works. Yep. He can't go back to the shop. <laughs> yep. And so he came to the police department to, to, to have a conversation about where we were as an organization uh, with kind of the things that were going on in our society, in our world, and Ferguson being kind of the, the, the latest incident. But as we all know, Ferguson wasn't the first incident. Um, it was just kind of the latest at that point. And, and that's where the conversation started. And, and it was seeing True's passion and seeing, you know, really his, 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 his heart, quite frankly, uh, and seeing the, the, the pain and the fear that, that he had. Um, and with the events that happened literally a thousand miles away and how that translated into fear for him right. in this community right here. Right. And, and, and that was, uh, you know, for me, that was, that was revelatory, right? That, that, that told me something. It's like, 
that wasn't anywhere close to here. It involved nobody from here, but, but this fear and this pain is real, you know, yeah. for this man. Yeah. And, and, and such, you know, I, I owe so much to true for coming in and pouring out his heart and opening up and, and just being real and being honest and being vulnerable. Um, because that set into motion a series of, of actions that to this day continues to happen. And it all started with him coming through our door. Um, and, and so as a result of that, um, one of the conversations we had was where can we have these conversations with the black community? You know, where, where do we go if we want to have these conversations and, and frankly get to know each other better? And and the answer I got to that question was there's two places if you want to do that. Really good places. <laughs> uh, you get the church to church and you get the unchurched at the barbershop. Right? Oh, wow. And, and so <laughs> we had started some conversations with some faith based leaders in our community with um, with predominantly African-American congregations. And I said, well, we're we're already kind of starting down that road with these churches. So we need to go to the barbershop. And True said, well, I think I can help with that. And I always feel like I got to defend the people in the barbershop. When I say this, I want to make sure that everybody understands. If you go to the barbershop and walk in, don't assume everybody in there is unchurched because church people go to barbershop too, <laughs> right? So there's church people in the barbershop. But to Truth's point, it's a great place to have real, open, honest conversation because yeah. that's that's the way it is in the barbershop. You talk about anything and everything, yeah. right? And, yeah. and you talk about it in real ways. Yes. And and I got to tell you, you know, we set it up to to go to the barbershop. And what's interesting about that is um, the guy who owned the barbershop, um, his name's Tron Watson. And Tron was about 40 years old at the time. And Tron was in a place in his life where he did not like and he did not trust police officers, any police officers anywhere. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I, I, I sound like I'm saying that critically of, of Tron, but I'm really not. You know, Tron had his experiences in life. He grew right. up in Camden, New Jersey. Um, right across the river from Philadelphia. And he had experiences with law enforcement that led him to feel the way he felt about police officers. But Tron led us in the shop, not because I wanted to come, not because the police chief or the police department wanted to come, but because True said, I think it's a good thing. And he trusted True. Right. 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 And so, you know, and this is going to sound really crazy when I tell you this, BJ, but we set that up. We set it up to come on the first Saturday of the month. And this is way back in 2014. And I remember um, I was literally scared to go to the barbershop that morning. Right. Wow. It was like one of the most frightening things I did in my career. And that sounds wow. crazy to say, you know, because I had done undercover narcotics. You know, I had right. done undercover right. deals. I had done tactical operations with with the, with the ERT. Um, you know, I had done some really dangerous work and that didn't frighten me, like walking into the barbershop shortly after Ferguson right. to have a conversation about race and law enforcement. Exactly. But when I think about it now, it makes sense because, you know what, I had been trained in tactical operations. I had been trained in narcotics. Nobody had ever trained me how to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I was going to make it better or worse. Right. But what, I, but what I did know for a fact is if I can't at least talk about it, I don't have a chance of making it any better. And so I committed to we're going to go and we're going to have this conversation and, and whatever happens, happens. Maybe I make it better. Maybe I don't. But I'm at least going to try. 
And, you know, when I tell you what, when I pulled up and I sent a, I sent a message out to the department and said, look, I'm going to do this thing. If you want to go, you're welcome to go, but I'm not going to make anybody go. Right. But when I pulled up in that parking lot that morning, there was 14 carry police cars in that parking lot. And it was one of the wow. proudest moments of my career because I knew that every single person that drove one of those cars there was just as, as scared as I was. They were just <laughs> as worried that right. they were going to say the wrong thing. Right? Right. right. But they recognized the opportunity. They recognized mm-hmm. that they've got a chance to do yeah. something to maybe make things a little bit better. And so we had the conversation. We spent two hours and I t- it was pointed. It was direct. They weren't worried about your feelings. They weren't worried about political correctness. They say it like they say it. They say it like they feel it. But I tell you what, <laughs> at the end of two hours, look, it, seriously, at the end of two hours, I can say this. It was respectful. Right. And I feel like we made it a little bit. We made a little bit of progress. We made it a little bit further down the field. If you think about it in a football analogy, we didn't score a touchdown. We didn't even get a first down, but we advanced the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I told Tron, I was like, look, we want to come back. And he said, all right, you can come back. And I said, no, I want to commit to coming back on the regular. He said, all right, you can do that. He said, I got one rule, though. Next time you come, one police car. <laughs> he said, it could be the SWAT truck full of cops. But he said, one police because if a brother pulls up and, and sees 14 police cars, he ain't, he ain't coming he in. keep going. Yeah, not coming in. To run a business. <laughs> Yeah, but I tell no. you, BJ, that was such a blessing because yeah. I am so proud to say we are seven years after that event and we have not missed a first Saturday in over seven years. Wow. And that's a remarkable accomplishment that is. Um, for, for the community to continue to show up Saturday after Saturday for over seven years to continue these conversations. This is what we talk about. We talk about these issues. Yeah. And, and it is literally, in my opinion, it has literally not just changed lives, but frankly, I think it's saved lives. And so that's been such a blessing. So that's kind of how it really kind of all got started for me. Wow. Thank you for that. Harmony, you have a question for the chief? No, I was tearing up. I thought that was just, I don't know. It's really inspirational to, I think it's to, to see like two different parties from quote unquote opposing sides sure. come together and kind of understand that we can have conversations And I think that that's what a lot of people want is they just want to be heard. Um, And how, how impactful is it that you can be a part of hearing somebody else's story? And then I'm sure that they're able to have that same experience back. Um, And the fact that you guys have been doing this for over seven years, I think speaks to the trust that you've built. Um, And, and one thing that I, I really particularly like about what you guys were doing is that you didn't, you know, you weren't trying to bring people down to the police department you met them where they were and you also went in with community leaders that already had some type of leverage with these people. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, programs um, targeted for any type of, I would say, like disadvantaged group. Sometimes they have the tendency to think that they know best um, and they know what should or should not happen. So I always love when I see like community based things that are really based in the community and are for the community. Um, and yeah, I just think that that's, that's awesome. Um, and then when you were speaking, I think for me, and if you're not watching the video, maybe it's not the same for you, but watching the video, being able to see who is saying these things, I think that if we were being stereotypical, I would not be expecting these things to come out of your mouth. Um, and so I love the fact that this is so matter of fact, so frank and 
in doing that, I think that you're probably providing other, other people that look like you and feel similarly the path to, to start speaking their truth as well. So I commend you. I think this is, this is really awesome work. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And I tell you, you, you said so many nuggets in there that are so important, right? And it's, and it's so important that we work together. Um, you know, we could have sat at the police department and come up with all these ways that we're going to make things better with the black community. Mm-hmm. But how, how, how do we have a hope of doing that without the black community being involved in that discussion? Like we can't decide how that's mm-hmm. going to be fixed without the black community being involved. And the fellas down at the shop could sit down there and talk about all day how to fix the police. They could talk about it all day, all week, all month. They're never going to fix the police without the police involvement in that conversation. So both sides have to be in that conversation right. if we've got any chance of making real progress. And, and really what you said about going to the barbershop, that's really one of the tenets that, that we learned quickly is that you got to meet people where they where are. Where they are, absolutely. Where they are, right? If I, I could have invited the fellas from the shop to the police department. I've got a big police department, a big training room. I could have packed full of people. It, it would have been crickets in there. Nobody would have showed up. <laughs> I would have yeah. come to the police department <laughs> to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I got to meet people where they're comfortable. And they were very much comfortable in the barbershop. I was very uncomfortable. I had to be willing to do that, right? But 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 it's such it's, it was it was such a blessing, you know. And and that's and there really is no better word for it. It was absolutely a blessing that I had that opportunity. I've been granted that blessing in my life to have that experience. And I'm sure it's been transformative in so many other ways. I know that the barbershop for a lot of men is a really sacred place. Um, and so I'm sure that these conversations don't just stop when it comes to law enforcement. So I'm, I'm sure that this has been a blessing to so many other people in different ways. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're still doing it. How are you guys sustaining it through COVID? Was it virtual or what were the challenges that you guys faced? Yeah, that was, that was what we've had to do. And we're still virtual in a virtual environment for about a year and a half now. Oh, wow. And we were just getting to the point where we were getting ready to, to come back to the shop. Yeah. And, and then this, this surge started happening. We're like, oh, well, maybe it's a little bit too early still. Mm-hmm. So we are so looking forward to the, to the day where we can get back in place together, you know, mm-hmm. because so much of it, I mean, we spend two hours doing rap sessions. We'd spend another hour after it was over, just, people standing around talking and, and right. people that you would never expect to be together having conversations. I remember I had a conversation. I made a comment one time at a barbershop rap session. And what was interesting, we started doing these, there'd be eight, 10 people in the room mm-hmm. um, before COVID happened toward the end, before we started doing virtual um, we'd have 65 to 75 people in the barbershop that oh were showing goodness. up on a Saturday morning. Wow. And I remember one Saturday morning I, I said, I said uh, a, a district attorney, the, the district attorney for the county, uh, a superior court judge, a Navy admiral and an NFL player walk into a barbershop. It sounds like the setup for a great joke, but all of those four people were in the shop that day. Right? <laughs> Where else do you have that kind of eclectic mix right. of people showing up at a barbershop at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning? But that's the that's that's the thing is, is, you know, we have we have all different generations, all different races, all different professions, religions, sexual orientations, you name it. It is truly a melting pot of our community that come and have these conversations. And it's, it's just a great thing to see that, see that happening and see, you know, all of those different, uh, you know, groups, uh, 
with the same shared purpose, and that is uh, heart, you know, having yeah. a heart for, for making yeah. making our world a better place. Exactly. And that speaks to the transformative power of, of love and, and commitment to each other. It's really easy to say that you're committed to each other, right? Until it, it takes the, the courage and the bravery and the tenacity to sit through a two hour long conversation um, in a barbershop at that time. I imagine that that was difficult, but again, it's just, it's a testament of, of how transformative and restorative love can be when it comes from that genuine place of, of wanting to be connected to one another. Yeah, Harmony, I, and I think that let me let me just follow up on that real quick. Yeah, yeah, is, no because problem. you said you said the word love, and I think that's really key, right? Mm-hmm. Because what started as a group of strangers, you know, there's true there's true love for one another now. Not you know, mm-hmm. I have love for my brothers in the barbershop. And I, I'll tell you a quick story. You know, you, you guys remember when the Parkland shooting happened down in, in Florida? Yeah, um, I was in the office. And, and when I'm when I'm in the office, I'm not paying attention to news. I'm doing doing my work. Right. And I got a I got a text from True that said, hey, did you see what's going on in, in Florida? And I said, I, I haven't. But let me look. And I pulled it up online real quick and I saw about what was happening in Parkland, Florida. And I don't know what it was about that one, but that one just hit me some kind of way. I mean, uh, maybe it was that my son was, you know, my youngest son was, I think, six at the time, uh, maybe seven. And so he was at the age where he would be in a school. Right. Um, And it it really affected me. And I I was feeling some sort of way. And I said, you know what, I got to get out of here. And you know where I went when I was feeling like that, when I was feeling like just the, this real burden on me, I, I didn't go to church. I, I didn't go home. I went to the barbershop, mm-hmm. right? And I walked into the barbershop with Tron and Aunt and Jay and Quita. And I was like, guys, I got to tell you, I'm feeling some kind of way right now. And, and they said, wow, what's up, chief? And I told them what, what was going on. And just for some reason, it just hit me at my core. And we basically had about an hour and a half worth of therapy for me in the mm-hmm. barbershop that day. And, and, you know, when I left an hour and a half later, I, I w- it was still heavy, but I felt better than when I walked in wow. because I had spent that time and, and, and Tron and aunt and, and the fellas, uh, you know, they helped me, they helped me kind of work through that. And that's, that's, that's an outcome I never would have predicted when we said we want to go to the barbershop and have this conversation the first time. I never thought that would have been my refuge, but that's what it became. It became my refuge. Wow. Wow. So I was going to ask you, so, you know, you said those officers, what, what about the officers that showed up? What did that do for them? When you, when you guys were done and you came out and you said, you know, you got there, so 14 of your cars in the parking lot. What is that? What did that do for you from that day forward? I mean, how, what was that conversation like with those officers that showed up that day? Well, I think the first thing it did was they, it was it, it showed them, hey, you know what? You can do this, right? <laughs> right. You, you, you can come in and have a conversation uh, and it can be civil and it can be right. uh, productive and it can right. be respectful. It doesn't have to devolve into he said, he said, right? It doesn't have to be us versus them. We can have a real conversation and it doesn't mean we'll always agree on everything. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay not to agree because we have different perspectives and we have different life experiences, but we can learn from those life experiences, right? The fellows in the shop, they've had their life experiences. They help me understand better where somebody's coming from. And I've had different life experiences and I can help them understand better where police officers are coming from in certain yeah. situations. Yeah. And so 
it is those perspectives that are so incredibly valuable. And if we, something else that Harmony said earlier, you know, if, if we, if we just take the time to, to have a conversation, right. I think that, I think that is the cure for so much that's going on in our world. We've got to sit down and just frankly, listen. And that's, and I mean, really listen, right. Yeah. Listen to understand, yeah. don't listen to reply. Yeah. Don't listen to wait for my chance to jump in with my side of, of just listen and don't worry about the reply whatsoever. Hear yeah. what somebody's saying, yeah. right? Yeah. Feel what they're saying because yeah. it's important to understand how somebody feels, but it's even more important to that to understand why they feel the way they feel. Because mm-hmm. once I understand why you feel how yeah. you feel, then I can do something with that. I can flex some empathy muscles then and I can get where you're coming from, but I can't do it if I just know how you feel. I got to understand why you feel how you feel. But the only way to get to that is just to be quiet and listen and listen to what people have to say. (laughs) You know, you know, so I guess, you know, we talked before we started recording about, you know, the black communities that have white chiefs. And and like you said, they don't know, they don't know your experience. They don't know who you are because they can't come to the meetings and then, chiefs aren't coming out of the building, you know, so, so I guess, you know, kind of, you may not be able to, to, to help with this, but for black communities, when they, they think, you know, white officers, just because he or she's white and in a uniform, they make this assumption that they're racist and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and the work from the, from the top can't, you know, they're not, they're not seeing that. So how, from how do you do that? You know, how, how difficult is that for a white chief to do this work in this moment? Because I, because I, you know, the person that, you know, that was basically, no, I like what you do, BJ, but that's okay. You know, so how do you identify or help the community realize that this white chief is, he gets it, he or she gets it. What does that look like? I mean, how, how do you help with that when you're having these discussions with some of your current and ex-colleagues. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I think I think I think stories are important, right? Stories really those are the things that move us to action. Right. And so I think hearing stories like like the experience that I've had really helps motivate um, police officers to say, you know, I want that. I want to have that experience. Um, that and that's what I want as well, right? I I want every cop in this country to have the experience that I've had. I want them to meet people um, where they are and see the transformative nature of relationship building, right? Of getting to know people and building those, building those real relationships through nothing greater than communication, quite frankly. Um, And so I, I think, I think, you know, we have to, we have to talk about it. We have to share those experiences and 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 when then we've got to leverage, you know, contacts in the community. You know, Harmony said it earlier. You know, uh, I had to leverage that community contact. I had to leverage True. I know Tron wouldn't, uh, you know, no 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 knock on Tron. But if I'd have walked in the door and said, Tron, can I bring some cops to the barbershop? Now he'd be like, <laughs> Yeah, bro, why are you even asking? But then he'd have been like, uh, Yeah, no, thanks, I appreciate it. Right. right? But but, <laughs> right. but it, it was that trust you know, that Tron had in true and, and leveraging that relationship to get the foot in the door that made all the difference. Right. And so 
uh, the, the reverse works, right? If you know somebody that knows yes. a police officer somewhere, yes. you know, knows a police officer that is at a department or used to be at a department um, and, and can kind of vouch for you to say, hey, this this dude wants to wants to do something, wants to make a difference. And, and he's and he's genuine. Right. Or she's genuine. And, you know, it's just a genuine person. You know, that vouch makes a big difference. And so we just got to leverage those relationships and the people that you already know, because you already know some of those people. But yeah, it's it's so incredibly valuable to have the conversations because <laughs> I'm never going to know the things about growing up, you know, as a black man in America. I, I'm just I'm never I don't have a chance of of being able to experience that. Right. The only way I can understand that is to talk to people who have had those experiences and that are willing to share that with me and help me understand Vice versa, there's a whole bunch of people. The, the majority of our society will never know what it's like to, to, to put on that badge and to shoulder that responsibility every day. Mm-hmm. And the only way they can understand that is for, for us to share that with them mm-hmm. and to help them understand. So there's so much we can, we, we can, we can learn from one another. And, yes. and what's, key, what's key is what's interesting. I think James Comey, the former FBI director, nailed this way back in, I think, 2015. He said, you know what's interesting? He said, we want the same thing. He said, a young black man is saying, don't judge me based on the color of my skin. And a police officer saying, don't judge me based on my uniform. They're both saying, judge me on me, what I do, not what somebody else that looks like me does. We want the exact same thing, but we can't stop to listen to each other long enough to understand that. Yep. And that's what, that's really where, where to me, where the key is, is, is just kind of getting to know people and leveraging those people that you already know or somebody yeah. that knows somebody to, to kind of get your foot in the door. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of what the work, you know, that I do is the same thing when I talk to the, to the community and, and that the, the connection between the community and law enforcement is everybody wants to get to the house. They want to go home and you want to go home. That's right. So let's just figure out how we both can can accomplish those goals because everybody wants to go to the house and we just got to figure out what that looks like. And, you know, you're judging this officer based on the actions of somebody you saw for 30 seconds on CNN or Fox or wherever you get your, your media from. And now you're placing that judgment on the entire industry. And doing this work, I've also heard and a lot of times that I'm sure you've heard in a barbershop, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Never heard of that. Oh, now I understand. But they would not have had that if it hadn't been in your barbershop or they hadn't come to one of my things because they don't have, like you said, that experience. And it really is that we are sitting in the room and we're hearing that and, and allowing yourselves to hear that uh, from that lived experience. And uh, it, I think you just said it, uh, I think it was really good uh, exercising those empathy muscles. Uh, yeah. Because now, now you're hearing something you you, you never thought of. Um, the, I just want to touch on recruiting because I, I was just thinking about that. I know Durham PD is down about a hundred, <laughs> and um, but then also, you know, they're like we can't we can't hire anybody. We're hiring some folks, and you know, they're hiring folks, but not hiring enough. And I think that's looking. I want to look at that as as half full because you're talking about millennials and Gen Zs who were. Uh, Trayvon Martin basically were, that's who, who they were at 13. So yep. they, the, these individuals that are coming into law enforcement right now uh, came up on Trayvon Martin, everything else since then. I think we need to owe, at least say to them, we appreciate the fact that you still want to be a police officer in this moment. 
And and I think, and I may be off, but I'm thinking if you, after seeing everything that you've seen and the discussion about law enforcement, you still want to put on this uniform. I think that says a lot for them. And those are the ones that we probably want to hire because they know it's going to be rough, but I'm doing this for the purpose of making this better. So instead of complaining about the few, I think we need to pat those that are willing to, after everything they've seen, all the stuff they've seen since Trayvon Martin, the 21 and 22 year olds that are now law enforcement officers, and they still want to get into this profession, that, that's our future. Because Absolutely. they get it. I, and I don't know how you feel about that, but I started thinking about that because I hear, you know, some colleagues and folks that are still in, the, in, the, in law enforcement, like just, we just can't hire anybody, but you're hiring some folks. And those are the ones I think that are going to make the difference in the future. No, I I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting you say that because I was up in Minnesota teaching at a police department up there uh, literally a week and a half ago. Um, And I said, um, you know, the the people that that are getting into the profession now and and I saw two of the officers in there kind of look at each other and 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 chuckle. um, And it was one male and one female. They were both white. And I said, I said, are you, are you new to the profession? And they said, yeah, well, I, I've been sworn in about 30 days and she's been sworn in about two weeks. Woo. And so they were brand new, brand, brand new. Yeah. And, I, and I stopped and I said almost the exact same thing you did, Chief. Uh, you know, I said, guys, I, I got to tell you, I've got such a tremendous amount of respect for, for young people that have, um, that have grown up uh, through all the law enforcement turmoil we've seen the past few years, especially, but particularly the last year and a half to two years where it's been exponentially greater and been such negativity toward the profession. And, and to raise your hand and say, you know what, sign me up. I want some of that. That's an incredible commitment, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I yeah. like to think I would have done the same, but, but I got to be honest, I don't know that I would if, if, yeah. if, if, if I would have had that experience at 20 years old, I'm not sure I would have made that, that, that decision. So I've got a, such a, uh, a tremendous respect for people that raise their hand and say, you know what, send me. And I think what's key about that is the people that are doing that are the people with the right heart, right? Yes. Because yes. you don't do that if you don't have the right heart. And I think that's the heart we need in this profession. And I think that's what we will see changing in this profession going forward is yes. a, a real focus on not the technical skills like you and yes. I both know. Yes. I can teach you all the technical skills to be a police officer. I can teach yes. you how to investigate crimes. I can teach you how to respond to calls. I can teach you how to drive. I can teach you. I can teach you all these things. What I cannot teach you is your heart. You've either got that or you don't. You got that when you were yeah. growing up. You got that from your parents, your friends, your 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 social network, or you didn't, right? And and I can't teach you heart. And so I think the people that are raising their hand right now are the people that have the right heart, and maybe they have the technical skills too. But you know what? If they don't, that's okay. I'll teach you those. But you got the right heart, and to me, that's what's most important. I totally agree, Andrew. I see you there. Do you want to comment on anything? Yeah, thank you for um, pointing that out. I just wanted to say I really have enjoyed listening to y'all um, discuss and opening up about th- various things. Um, sorry for coming a little bit late, but I appreciate you for giving me the time to speak about what I've been able to hear. I think one of the points that you've mentioned, um, there's a, I think there's a, 
I think it's not a podcast. It's like a video, basically a storytelling there where NBA players get together in a barbershop and do something similar. Um, right. And I think that that's, that was the first thing that I thought about when I heard this. And I think that that's like you said, is a great way and a great space to be able to talk about a variety of different things um, to give, like you said, an even playing ground. Um, so I appreciate the work that you do um, and the work that you've been able to do in the past. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Drew. And, I, and I, I, um, I haven't seen that yet, but I've seen that it exists. And so I definitely want to check it out. If I can sit down long enough to watch some TV, I, I will pull that up. <laughs> right. um, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's very rich. And uh, and I look forward to checking that out. First chance I get. So so what do you think, uh, Chief, as far as, you know, what is it going to take from the leadership? You know, um, how how are we? I think we again. We had this conversation before we started recording, but it's going to be the small agencies in this country that are going to have to take the lead on changing and reform is going to be at the local level. Um, I think I've said it a couple of times on some podcasts. It's it's a national narrative about reform, but it's actually the action of it and the implementation of it is going to be at the local level. And um, individuals are going to have to be involved in that. And that's kind of the piece you and five is trying to help with, especially down in Kenston doing some work down there is getting community members basically trying to um, understand law enforcement speak. And, and so getting them to understand, yes, you can ask your police chief X, Y, Z, you know, or getting the, the, the administration to understand this is what the community is feeling, whether it's accurate or not, this is how they feel. And you've got to figure out how to be in that space with them, like you said, and not necessarily trying to always give them an answer. Um, and just, it really boils down to understanding each other's language. Because uh, I've I found out it, it really is, and you know this, look, 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 that we just don't know, the community doesn't know, especially the Black community, at least from my perspective, you have the capability and the power to say things to your law enforcement agency and hold them accountable. But there's just not either the knowledge or the willpower to do that. And 5.0 is trying to help navigate some of that conversation. So what do you think about, you know, how do we do that to be able to say, okay, Black folks, we want you to come in, you know, we're welcoming you in, or I'm coming out to you. I mean, how, how do we begin to help, help the Black community realize this agency is for you? This agency is for you. Yeah, that, that's a great, great question and a great point. And I tell you what, um, you know, w- we do have to recognize the, the number one thing we got to stop doing is saying the police, uh-huh. right? Because the police is not a singular entity. Right. As you know, there's over 800,000 police officers in this country. There's over 18,000 police departments in this country. And the vast majority of them are small departments. They're not big major departments. Right. They're small departments. And I think you we not you and I talked about is 90 percent of the departments are small departments in this country. And so there is no singular entity of the police. Right. They're individuals. Um, And. And, and and I am encouraged because the work that I do with True now and, and his organization called True Access um, and True Access, uh, you know, our mission is to build bridges in the community and help people help bring people together across whatever the divides are, whether they're racial divides or generational divides or or, or sexual orientation or whatever it is, whatever the divides are. We want to bring people together. And and we started with law enforcement and race, right? That's where we kind of got into this work. And that's what was the revelation for us. 
and so because of that, we do a lot of work with law enforcement around the country. And so, I mean, so many departments here locally, I, I, I wouldn't even begin trying to name the departments locally where we've had this conversation and these training. Um, but, but, you know, but really all over the country, whether it's in, I mean, I was, as I said, I was just up in Golden Valley, Minnesota, a week and a half ago, written Washington, just outside of Seattle is coming up next month. Uh, you know, we've been in uh, Grand Rapids, Virginia State Police, North Carolina Highway Patrol. I mean, uh, down in uh, uh, Tampa, Florida. I mean, all over the country, we're having these conversations. And what I find is there are people in law enforcement that want to get engaged in this work and want to get engaged in this conversation, but they don't know how to get started, right? And one of the, one of the key points that we always make is you have to identify who your community liaisons are, right? For me, that was true. And through true, it was Tron, right? And it was Ann, it was Lafayette, and it was those fellas that, that really helped make those connections, right? I couldn't do it by myself. I needed those community liaisons. And, and we tell all of these police officers around the country, they exist in your community. You just have to identify who they are. And so we give them ideas about where you might find them. But to your point, and this is what makes it easier, is if there are people in the community that have this heart and want to have these conversations and affect this change, then reach out, reach out to your police department, reach out to your chief, reach out to your community services officer and say, you know, I, I don't know what to do, but I know I want to do something. And, <laughs> and how can we work together? And I think that's the key. How can we work together? Right. Because what I've learned over the years is policing is not something that we do to the community. It's not something even that we do for the community, which is a little bit better than two, right? Four sounds yeah. a little bit better than two. Exactly. But the true, but where the true, where the true value is, is when we engage in policing with the community. With is the key word, right? right? And so, you know, if you're somebody in the community that has this heart, has this desire to affect positive change in your community, um, then 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 reach out because I think more often than not, you will find a receptive ear on the other end of that, of that contact saying, you know what, I'd love to, I just didn't know how, I didn't know where, I didn't know who, right? But, but you've just answered some of those questions by reaching out to me. Now I know I've got a partner in this that we can work together. It's not my responsibility, it's not your responsibility, it's ours together. And we can do some amazing work if we do it that way, if we work together. Yeah. Amen, my man. Amen. You are definitely the guy. I really appreciate it. Uh, Harmony, you got anything for him? No, that I said what I what I had to say earlier. I know Ooh, Sean that, that, I don't that, have that, anything else to say. That, yeah, Tony, that's pretty good. If you shut Harmony down, you sh you have shut down somebody that can talk. <laughs> if, you, if you have made her speechless, that's that's human. That's saying a lot. That is. No, me, me and Harmony, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> yeah, we speak the same language. We get that's it. it. <laughs> yeah so so you guys have just been you guys come into communities and and agencies and just kind of help them figure out how to communicate to them or, or what this is about for their for their officers so they can understand this moment and what why it's important for them to be empathetic and why you know it's more of with the community and not to the community is that what you guys kind of go in and explain to them Absolutely. You know, you know, we, 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 we position what we do as diversity training, but 
um, and you and you know as well as I do, that's got such a bad kind of feel in the law enforcement community. You you hear diversity training, yeah, um, and and you kind of automatically turn it off, right? Yes. Because yeah. you know we've been having diversity training for the better part of fifteen years here in North Carolina, <laughs> yeah, and and you know I don't think it's always been delivered in the most effective way possible. There's been a lot of finger pointing. Um, saying this is how you've done it wrong and, and this is what you've done to, to get us in this situation. And I just don't think that's very effective. So right. while it is diversity training, we, we couch it more in diversity discussions. Yeah. Uh, and we go on this journey with, with law enforcement to help them um, just kind of have these discoveries on their own um, and, you know, together as we walk through the day and, and, and the training cycle um, to help kind of guide the discussion and, 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 and let there be some revelations along the way. And we found that to be much, much more effective. Um, but, but here's what's key is we do a lot of this work in law enforcement, but it's not just law enforcement. Um, we do a lot of this work in educational systems from middle schools all the way to college level. Uh, we do a lot of this work in, um, in, in churches um, with different church organizations because yeah. we, we believe that the churches have to be a big part of the leadership to help push us forward. Yeah. Uh, and then in private industry as well, we've done this with with, you know, private companies, Fortune 500 companies with with um, professional sports, with uh, professional hockey teams, uh, basketball teams, baseball teams, Major League Baseball. Um, you know, what's interesting is the more we have these conversations throughout the community, the more I realize that it, this affects all of us. It affects all of us. Right. Yeah. I, I, and, and, you know, I remember. I had a con- I'm not going to say what team it was, but a major league baseball team. And I was having uh, true and I were having a conversation with this MLB team. And we had the whole team uh, and the whole coaching staff on the call. And one of the one of the players said, I've been in major league baseball. And this was a black man. He says, I've been in major league baseball for 27 years as a player, as front office staff and as coaching staff. He said, and this is the first time I felt comfortable having this conversation in this organization. And that really, that really hit me, right? Here's a guy that literally made millions of dollars a year. And it was still like, it was impacting him. It was a struggle. I mean, he got emotional on the call, right? And here's a guy that, that finances, that'll never be a concern for him. Like never, ever, or his kids. He's got that kind of money. Right. But it still hits him like that. And I'm like, yeah. if it hits that guy like that, yeah. how does it hit the average guy, the average guy in America, right? Uh-huh. That doesn't have right. millions and millions and millions of dollars. Think right. about the impact it's having on, on his or her life. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so that was that was such a revelation to me that, that this impacts us all. Money doesn't make you immune to it. Right. Nope. It nope. impacts all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I appreciate that. I think that's a, that's a good one to, to end on because you're right. And, and I think I think that's key, too, because that's kind of what we you know, I've been talking with some other folks just to have this have the free space. And, and, and I know you guys do bigger stuff. I mean, I, I'm staying in my lane. I'm staying in the popo lane when I, for my 5-0 stuff. But what I also realize and I appreciate you saying that it's just a space just to have a conversation especially for law enforcement in this moment to be able to be comfortable, say what they need, you know, and to understand what this moment is for them. So yeah, everybody needs a a comfortable space to talk about this where everybody can feel comfortable and, and hopefully, and I like what you said to exercise those empathetic muscles. So I, I appreciate that. So 
Tony, I appreciate you coming on and, and joining joining us and taking time to 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 be with me. And and you've been always been very kind. Anytime I've reached out to you for advice or uh, in, insight into some things, your your candidness is appreciated. Um, Thank you. I, I take pleasure in knowing you as far as the fact that you are a white male, white police, male police chief, with, and, and it's significant. I keep saying it because that's significant, especially sure. for black folks uh, to understand that they're, and, and I gotta go back to the beginning, you actually use the term progressive. And uh, that's, that's kind of where you are, where we need to be, at least to be open to this conversation. And so your friendship means a lot to me. So thank you very much uh, for, for being able to be candid and honest with me, because you have corrected me on a couple of things that <laughs> I've made some assumptions about, uh, and and I appreciate the lessons I've learned from you. So hey, thank you hey. very much for for joining us, um, and we will. Um, I don't. I will get True Access link, and we will make sure that 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 is here uh, when when we post when we do the the podcast that people if they want are interested in connecting with you and True. That, that, that will make that available to anyone that might be interested in, in doing that. So, Andrew, do you have anything closing? Because I know, you know, Harmony's already shut down, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> Not that I can think of. I was trying to think, um, I think to the point that you, he said about the empathetic muscles, I think that, that, that'll probably be the one that sticks with me the most. I've never I heard it put that way. Um, so I appreciate that. And um, the way that you lay grounding for everyone to be able to have a voice and to be able to speak about different problems that are going on in your community. I think um, people who listen to um, True and also this podcast as well, too, will hopefully, if not listen to True or just mimic something in their own community, I think that would be most beneficial. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thank you. So thanks again, um, Tony Godwin, Chief Godwin, and in your re-retirement again, uh, re-retiring again, I hope uh, I know somebody else is probably going to grab you to kind of help them bridge the gap. You know what I'm saying? You're the man. I don't blame them for reaching well, out. Thank you. Want any parting words you have for us? Well, I just want to thank you. Thank you, Andrew and Harmony, for, for having me and letting me be a part of this. And BJ, our friendship over the years, um, you know, we're in it together. We're both doing the same work. We're coming at it from, from two different directions. Um, but we're driving toward the same goal line, right? And yes. and that's what it's going to take. You know, we we none of us can do it all, but yes. if 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 all of us do a little bit, I think we can get there, right? Yes. Um, and so I so value the work that you do, and I so value our friendship, and I appreciate um, the conversations that we've been able to have, the connections that we've had over the years, and I just look forward to continuing that uh, as we move forward and. And I look forward to to one day. I, I don't know that you and I will be alive when this whole thing is fixed. I think it may take a little bit longer than that. <laughs> but but whenever that happens, I hope we are able to connect uh, after this life somewhere, and we can uh, we can rejoice together that Amen. we have we have seen this problem fixed in our world. So I know it will be fixed. Yes. I do believe that. Yes. Uh, I just think it's going to take a little bit of time. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to fix it overnight. Yeah. But all I can do is just do the, what I can do to move us closer to that end. Um, yeah. And so that's what I've that's what I've committed my life to. Cool. Good. And and with you doing it, we're, we're definitely headed towards success. So thank you, Tony. And thank you to those that are listening. Uh, and I appreciate for the support that everybody has done. Uh, over the years, a little over a year now that we've had you and Five O. So thank you, podcast. So thank you for those that have been very loyal to us. We really appreciate that. So as always, stay well, be safe, peace. <laughs>